back to the Palby Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the lead pastor at Palby Christian Church in Central Oregon. And uh, this week is going to be kind of a fun week. Uh, this weekend is Mother's Day, and we're going to be spending some time honoring the special ladies, the blessed ladies among us, uh, those who are moms, those who are grandmas, those who uh, just kind of serve as surrogate moms to some of us. Anyway, it's going to be a very special time, and uh, we're, we're looking at how these people that we call moms are blessed in order to be a blessing for other people, and that's really where we're getting at in Luke chapter 6. Um, you know, Proverbs 31 is a, is a passage of Scripture that a lot of people look at during Mother's Day. It's the virtuous woman, the Proverbs 31 woman. Um, and uh, one of those verses that I love says, her children rise and call her blessed. And that's what we want to do this weekend. We want to rise and call our moms blessed. And uh, because they are blessed, they God has given them a very unique way of approaching life, uh, that they have this uh, ability to show nourishment and understanding and protection, that they've got this the gift of, of loving us even when we are unlovable, right? Moms truly have been blessed by God. And I think that they serve then as a model for us to understand that when we are blessed, that's not supposed to be just for us. We are blessed for a reason. We are blessed to be a blessing to other people. Uh, so that's kind of where we're at. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 6. And um, some people now get a little confused uh, when they come to this part of Luke's gospel because it seems like Luke somehow is getting it wrong, that he's contradicting uh, the Sermon on the Mount, one of the very f most famous passages in the gospel, Matthew 5 through 7. Because there's a lot of things that are very, very similar, but it seems like there's some things that Luke gets wrong, um, but not really. Uh, what we need to understand is that Jesus was an itinerant preacher, which meant he had probably three or four sermons in the hopper that he could just, wherever he went, he could pull those out. Uh, in other words, it was not like me. He didn't have to come up with a new sermon every week, which, you know, I envy him for that. It'd be kind of nice to just have three or four of these and be able to go to different groups and kind of tailor what you're saying, tailor the message uh, to fit the audience. Uh, and so what we find here is this is a totally different event in Jesus's ministry. He's not up on the mountain. He's on this level plain, um, uh, this flat ground. And uh, yes, a lot of the things that he says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says here as well, but he adds some things in the, this sermon that he uh, delivers on this flat ground, this this plain. Uh, and some of them are similar, some of them are a little different, and, um, and, and so this is a different uh, event in his life. So we don't have to freak out, it's just another location, it's just another audience, but we see what's important to Jesus. He's got a core message. And it's going to come out in both the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 and here in Luke chapter 6 as well. And it's all about the kingdom of God, the upside-down kingdom that we talked about last year when we went through the Sermon on the Mount. And it's about what it means to live in that kingdom, okay? Having the kingdom life that God calls us into. So the Sermon on the Plain, no, not the airplane, but the plain, um, starts out very, very similarly uh, to the Sermon on the Mount with Beatitudes, or Jesus pronouncing blessings. I'm going to kind of set the scene here, and then we're going to get into the first part of the sermon, uh, starting in verse 17 of chapter 6. It says, Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. 
And a large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, um, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch Jesus because power was coming from him and healing them all. Then, looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. Let me ask you today. Let me ask you that if you died today, it's like you finished with a podcast and then something happens, either an accident or your time is up. And if you died today, what kind of legacy would you leave? Would you die knowing that you were a contributor to this world or a consumer of this world? The impact that you make on this world sometimes has very little to do with the amount of time that God gives you. Okay. In fact, it's been said that it's not so much the amount of days in your life that count as much as it is the life in your days. Okay. What did you do with your days? There's a lot of people who have lived to ripe old age, but when they die, when all is said and done, uh, you would have to say, honestly, that they took more out of this world. They took more out of this life than what they gave to this world. And on the other hand, there are some people whose lives have been cut tragically short. And yet, they have made such an impact because they gave abundantly more than what they received in life. So it's about having the right kind of perspective on what kind of life we are to have. It's what kind of life we are to have that is going to be determined uh, to, de to determining what kind of blessing we are going to be experiencing. See, Jesus talks about blessing here. But the blessings that he talks about seem a little off, at least according to what the world says would be a blessing. Seems a little off base. Because according to what Jesus said here, as he launches the Sermon on the Plain, he says that we are blessed if we have from verse 20, very little finances, verse 21, very little food, and verse 22, very few friends. If we were playing a gigantic game of worldly family feud, each one of those answers, the survey would say, ah, oh, big old red X there, right? Because for the, the world, those aren't blessings. Those actually are curses. Those things are actually the things that make life hard. So how are these people who are going through all of this stuff, very little uh, food, very little finances, uh, very few friends, how, how are they blessed? Well, again, it's, it's all about perspective. Jesus is using a different standard, as we see in verse 23, where he says you need to rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. So he's got a more eternal mindset, right? And that's how their fathers uh, treated the prophets. Well, the prophets were smack dab in the middle of God's will. And they had this amazing um, relationship with God, no matter how they were treated. So Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to know that you're blessed, you need to look at your life in, in a different perspective, using a different standard of measure. See, by living outside of ourselves, 
by understanding the scope of eternity, by trusting that God is good. That's where we as disciples can know that we are blessed. You see, there is a different perspective on what happens to us. There's a different perspective on what is good and what is bad, what is blessing and what is a curse. Uh, if you look at uh, the, the woes that, that follow right after that, I mean, Jesus contrasts everything that he just said with people who think that they've got it all in life. But he says, you know what, you, you need to take a different look at what is good and what is bad, what is a blessing and what is a curse. You know, I used to watch Hee Haw. There was one sketch that I remember where Archie was uh, cutting Roy's hair and, and they were just doing the barber banter, if you will. And, and Archie says, as he's cutting Roy's hair, he says, I guess you heard about my terrible misfortune. My great uncle died. And Roy says, well, that's bad. And Archie says, no, no, that's good. Because when he died, he left me $50,000. And Roy said, well, that's good. And Archie says, no, that's bad. Because when the IRS got through with it all, all I had left was $25,000. And Roy says, well, that's bad. And Archie says, no, 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 that's good. Because then I bought me an airplane and I learned how to fly. Roy says, well, that's good. And Archie says, no, that's bad. Because I was flying upside down and I fell out of the darn thing. And uh, Roy says, well, that's bad. And Archie goes, no, no, that's good. Because as I was uh, falling, I looked down and there was a big old, great, big old haystack. And Roy says, well, that's good. And Archie says, no, that's bad. Because it's... Yeah, a little closer, I saw a pitchfork came right at me. And Roy says, well, that's bad. And Archie says, no, 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 that's good, because I missed the pitchfork. And Roy says, well, that's good. And Archie says, no, that's bad, because I missed the haystack, too. You see, it all depends on your perspective, if it's good or if it's bad. And just so that we make sure that, that we understand what he's talking about, again, he's giving us the contrast of the blessed life. And he says in verses 24 through 26, Woe to you who are rich, for you already have had your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, because that's how their fathers treated the false prophets. Now, wow. Now, Jesus is not anti-rich here, okay? He's just saying that sometimes the, the, the people who put their trust in riches, they're going to they're going to have a rude awakening when those riches are taken away from them. And if that's what you're living for, if that's what blessing is, you can't guarantee that you're always going to have that. You're not always going to guarantee that you're going to be well fed. You know, he's talking to people who will always have difficulty when they put their trust in finances, food, and friends. For those who don't have those things, they have to put their trust somewhere else. So Jesus is not saying, I don't like rich people. He's just saying is, I kind of feel sorry for rich people. Yeah, they'll get their stuff now. For people who have a lot of friends and have a great reputation, people speak well of them now. People who are able to have a lot of food now, I kind of feel sorry for them when one day, after they put all of their trust and hope in those things, that those things are taken away. I feel sorry for them. Woe to them. See, you can be rich and understand the principles of generosity, just like you can be poor and, and be extremely stingy, okay, and, and, and not get it. It doesn't matter the circumstance, in other words. Jesus is trying to contrast what he's trying to say with what the world would say is a blessing. He goes, no, that's not the blessing. Just because you're rich, that's not the blessing. Just because you're well-off and well-fed, that's not the blessing. 
So why is he saying this? Well, I think he's trying to get our attention. I think he's saying things that are a little controversial to draw us in, to say, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? Because right after this, there are going to be 10 verses that Luke records for us, beginning in verse 27, that is dedicated to this idea of living outside of yourself and being generous and giving to other people. Now, some of these will be the core foundations of Jesus' teaching about God's kingdom. And it has more to do with our attitude rather than our true finances. It's our attitude about our finances, food, and friends, rather than our actual finances, food, and friends. We can be blessed without those things. We're blessed if we are faithful stewards of whatever God gives to us. So, in other words, are we going to be consumers in this life, or are we going to be contributors in this life? Will we, like the moms that we honor this weekend, take what is given to us, and are we going to multiply it, blessed, in order to be a blessing to other people, or are we going to sit on what we've got, not seeing things from God's perspective? See, here's the deal. We have a choice. The choice that we have to make is this. In this life, am I going to be a giver, or am I going to be a taker? And that has nothing to do with how much you have. I think that's Jesus' point here. I know people who will say, I would be a giver, Trey, if I had something to give. I'm reminded of a, a, an old preacher joke about how a preacher asked uh, one of the farmers in his congregation, hey, Clem, if you had um, 500 sheep, would you give 250 of them to the Lord's work? And Clem said, absolutely, preacher. If I had 500 sheep, I would absolutely give 250 of them for the Lord's work. And then the preacher says, well, Clem, if, if you had uh, uh, 50 head of cattle, would you give 25 of those uh, cattle uh, for the Lord's work? And Clem says, you, you better believe it. If I had 50 head of cattle, uh, preacher, I, I would give 25 of them. I'd give half of them uh, away for the Lord's work. And then the preacher says, well, Clem, if you had two hogs, would you give one of them away for the Lord's work? And that's when Clem says, well, that's not fair, preacher, because you know I have two hogs. You see, w there are people who would say, I would be a giver if I had something to give. But you do have something. You do have something to give. We all have something to give. God says that those who give, whatever they have, they're the ones that find the blessing that he has planned for us to experience. You've got something to give. And I'm not just talking about finances, by the way. I'm not one of those prosperity preachers. I'm, I'm, I'm not. Because I'm talking about resources, yes. I'm talking about talents. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about energy. What you have, God has given to you, and he says, are you going to be a giver of what I've given you, or are you going to just continue to take and take and take and take? Scripture tells us, if we cast our bread upon the waters, God is faithful, and he will come back to us in some way. I'm not saying that if you give a check of $100, that God's going to give you $300. Sometimes God does that. Most of the time he does not. God blesses us with whatever he chooses to bless us with. But then he calls us to be faithful stewards and invest those blessings back into his kingdom. And then we watch God do what he's going to do with that. The blessing then is what, the blessing that we receive that Jesus is talking about here is, is being able to watch God do with what little we even have in our life and in other people's lives. See, in the next several verses, we're going to see a couple of great truths about givers 
about con contributors, about those who pass on blessings. So let's look at them real quick. Two, two points. Number one, contributors turn it around and take action. Look at verses 27 through 30. It says, I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. You see all of those action words, by the way? Huh. Uh, love, bless, pray for, turn. Uh, you know, some people, they misunderstand the heart of Christianity. They see Christianity as a, a bunch of don'ts, right? A list of don'ts. Don't do this. Don't touch that. Don't eat this. Don't watch that. Don't say that. And and yet, <clears throat> the opposite is so true. You look at Jesus' teachings and you realize that there are way more positive commands that Jesus gives to us than negative commands. There are way more do's in Jesus' teaching than, than don'ts. Even before Jesus showed up on the scene, there was this philosophy that was shared by many religions, and it was all about don't. The, the golden rule used to be this. Before Jesus showed up on the scene, the golden rule was don't do to anyone what you would not want somebody to do to you. Don't do to people what you wouldn't want them to do to you. That was how the golden rule was stated by many of the ancient philosophies. Don't, 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 don't do that. It was Jesus who actually turned it around, and there in verse 31, he stated it in the positive. He says, no, 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 don't focus in on the don't. He says, listen, I want you, as my disciples, to do to others as you would have them do to you. Contributors are all about taking action, turning it around and taking action, not just sitting around waiting for life to happen to them. They take the step. They do the deed. They pray the prayer. They turn the cheek. They actively pursue a lifestyle of positive action. They contribute. They choose to take the actions to bless other people. And they do even what's more than expected. Look at verses 32 through 34. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend, lead, lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Jesus is saying, I, I don't want you just to do. I want you to actually do more than is expected. Which, by the way, is a very unnatural way of living. Very rarely do you encounter somebody who uh, not only cleans up their own mess after the event, but they actually stick around and make sure that they've helped pick up the mess of those that had been sitting around, who had just taken off without even thinking about such things. Jesus is talking about a people who just automatically, they, they build it into their life that they will go the extra mile to do the unexpected. It's not expected. And because it's not expected and they do it, Jesus is saying, you're going to make people sit up and take note. You're actually going to have an impact on this life when you do what is above and beyond what is expected. And they do more, all of this stuff, expecting nothing in return. Look at verse 35. But love your enemies, do good to them, 
lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be the sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Jesus right there is giving us the difference between just a good manager of God's resources, um, and, and well, between a good manager of God's resources and a bad manager of God's resources. The bad manager is the one that, that gives simply because he's expecting to, to get something in return. Folks, that's not benevolent. That's not generous. That's not giving. That's just trading. I give something to you, you give something to me. That's a trade. <laughs> and if I'm giving because I'm expecting to get something back, that is not commended by Jesus at all. See, we see three kinds of people described in this passage, and they're all based on three levels of giving. They're, they're the grace givers. There's the gotta do it givers, and they are the get what I can get givers. Now that last one, the get what I can get givers, is based on greed. The second one, the I gotta do it giver, is based on duty. I'm supposed to do this. But the third one, the third one is based on the generosity of people who realize that they have been blessed. They have been given grace. And so they're willing to pass that grace along to other people. By the way, the, the word grace in the Greek is charis, and charis just means gift. So grace givers are the ones who have received something, and that, and that they realize is God's grace. And so they are willing to pass that blessing, that gift, along to other people. So could it be that the talent that God has given you, or the time that God has given you, could it be that the, the, the giftedness that God has given you, or the skill that, you, that God has given you, has been given to you for a reason? outside of you? You know, we could even be talking about the material possessions, but it doesn't have to be. God blesses us in so many ways that is outside of finances and food and friends, okay? And so we're looking at your entire life. Maybe God gave you all of those things, just maybe, so that you would turn around and be a blessing to other people. So contributors, turn it around and take action. Second point is this. Contributors contributors realize the real reward of reaping. Look at verse 38. Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, that will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now here we see the sowing and reaping principle. Where what one sows, that's what is what he will reap. Jesus talks about that all the time. Now, there are some people who take that principle, the sowing and reaping, what you sow, you will reap. Um, and they say, well, that's that's just about, you know, giving God something, and then he's going to give you something a little bit later on. Again, that's trading. That's the get rich God's get-rich-quick scheme that the prosperity gospel preachers will tell you to. Give to God. He's going to give it to you. And, and they'll use this verse. They'll say, and, and what God gives to you is good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. But Jesus had already erased that thinking back in verse 34, where he says, when you give, you should not be giving in expectation of getting anything back, because there's no credit in giving it that way. In reality, Jesus's point is actually far, far away from that kind of thing. For Jesus here, the principle of sowing and reaping is this, is I can contribute freely. I can contribute without having anxiety about contributing. 
because I trust that no matter how much of my time I give, no matter how much of my talent I lend, no matter how much of my treasure I uh, allow God to use in other people's lives, God will take care of me, period. That's the real reward of reaping. God will take care of me no matter, no matter what. My trust in him will be strengthened through his faithfulness to me. My relationship with my creator will grow sweeter. My grandfather used to sing at the top of his lungs a, a Gaither song that I absolutely love to this day because of my grandfather and his life. And it was the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Since I started for the kingdom, since my life he controls, since I gave my heart to Jesus, the longer I serve him, the more that I've trusted him, the, the, the more that I've given to him and said, okay, God, you've asked me to do this, the more blessings come the sweeter my relationship with him is. That's the blessing, folks. I become more like Jesus. That's the blessing. I grow closer to my Savior and my God. That's the blessing. Not a bigger checkbook or a begging account. Not, not an easier life with no sickness and, and no health problems. You know, last week we talked about the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is one of the ways that God's people could actually show trust in a very practical way. Because when God, back in the wilderness, would give the people manna to eat, he would give them that every day. And they were to gather it every day, but they weren't supposed to gather it on the Sabbath. Well, how can they know that they're going to have enough to eat that day? They had to trust God. And he says, I don't want you to gather anything up on the Sabbath. And, I, I by the way, on all the other days, I don't want you to... to um, gather more that your family needs. And if you did, it would all rot away and you'd lose it anyway. So that whole system was set up that the people would learn to depend upon the faithfulness of God every day. And that would sweeten their relationship, seeing him more and more as a good, good father. Consumers, contributors, which one you are will be the evidence of how much you're trusting him. There are those who are anxious about life, and so they hold on to what they can get. They hold on for dear life. It's sad how far too often these people slowly kill themselves with stress and with hoarding stuff and not, not opening up their life to other people in hospitality so they die miserably lonely. They might die with a rich bank account, but they die spiritually, emotionally, socially impoverished. To me, that's what the woes are that Jesus talks about in verses 23 through 26. Those who seemingly had all that they needed in life, but found themselves distant from God because they had grown to not need a relationship with God. They, they would never live their life in gratitude for what God had given to them or in humility to realize that it came from God. And so they don't recognize their dependence and the need for them. They're like the church in the Revelation, the church of Laodicea. Where God says, you know what, you you become not useful to me because you don't need you don't need me. So because you don't need me, you're not useful to me. I'm just going to spit you up out of my mouth. Why? Because it's not sweet. There's not sweet fellowship with with God at all. On the other hand, though, there are those who have found a joy in trusting God for what He does provide for them. A joy in trusting God to see what He's going to give to us each and every day. Because 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, says Jeremiah. Those who are content with the level of resources that God has blessed them with, and they are so joy-filled to see what God's going to give them the next day. And so they become good managers of those resources. And, and, and they're able then to be uh, people who are generous and, and get givers, contributors. They have been blessed so that they can be a blessing. James tells us that God gives us perfect gifts, good and perfect gifts. He's the father of light. So as, as God's children, we have this great privilege of reflecting that light. He's the father of lights. That means we're the lights, right? We've got this great privilege of reflecting those lights in generosity to other people. But that can only happen when we recognize that those blessings that we've been given are true blessings. And, and it's all based on God's economy, not the world's economy. And we can see then all the ways that we can turn those blessings into a multitude of blessings to pass on to other people. I end with this cool story that I read this last week. It's about a man who is part of a church that was going through Rick Warren's 40 Days of Love for their Lent celebration. Six weeks, uh, they would talk about different aspects of love, and, and uh, the congregation was encouraged to show love to people in different ways. The first week was, was all about writing letters to people who had made a positive impact in uh, their life. Well, one guy, this one guy, he said, you know, he was a big, burly dude, man, manly man. He went up to the preacher and said, you know, I, I think this will be an okay sermon series, but I'm not going to write any letters. I think that that's dumb. I think that's too touchy-feely. So he says that I'm not going to participate. Well, a week went by, and the next Sunday, the man came back to the pastor and says, you know, I, I have to apologize for what I told you last Sunday. Because on Wednesday, I realized I was wrong. And the pastor said, well, what happened on Wednesday? The man says, I got one of those letters in the mail. It had come as a total surprise from a man uh, that the, this guy had never expected to hear from. It spoke about how th this man had made such a positive impact on the, the writer of the letter's life and how that person had been changed. And he said, every time I read it, I get tears in my eyes. And it, it changed his entire outlook. He was so moved that that day, Wednesday, when he received that letter himself, he turned around and wrote 10 letters to other people. Blessed to be a blessing. Thanks, moms and grandmas and special women in our life for modeling that truth for us. You are a blessing. God has blessed us through you. Church, if you have been blessed, will you turn around and be a blessing to other people this week as well? Well, that's the, um, the sermon for this week. Um, May God continue to show you all of the blessings that he does bring to you, and though they may look different than what you think that they would be or what certain preachers will tell you what they are. Look around. Try to identify the, the ways that you have been blessed, and then turn around and be a blessing to other people. That's my encouragement to you. May you have a great week, and may you be blessed, and we'll see you next time.